0: Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, joined by James Fox, senior editor over at Future Sox. Our special guest today, Chris Lunuti of Sox in the Basement podcast. It's a pleasure, Chris. Always good to talk to you. We talked to you about a year ago. Time sure does fly. A lot of stuff's changed. And uh, we got to get to Tony Larusso. We're going to talk about Tony Larusso again. Seems like the last few episodes of the Future Sox podcast, he's been the center of the conversation, but it's it's one of those situations, Chris, where he it's not our fault. It's not like we want to continue to talk about Tony Larusa, but he continues to get in the news. And the latest is, well, he was pulled over in February uh, at, for a possible DUI, and now they're talking this could go to court and you know due process and everything's going to have to come a, come about. But again, this is you know the second charge, and the White Sox apparently knew about this prior to them agreeing to signing. Uh, Tony La Russa, and now it's just a huge PR nightmare really for the organization so let's kick things off right away Chris how's Dave doing is he doing okay
1: <laughs> yeah my my buddy Dave who I do the show with down here in my basement in my nine-foot homemade oak bar we've been doing it for a couple of years he he was not well uh with the La Russa hiring and now he feels vindication because uh, immediately there's a PR nightmare that comes in the form of Tony La Russa's DUI uh, He's hanging in there, and 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 Mike and James, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I, you know, I, here's the thing. I, I, I'm embarrassed. I, if, you know, I, it, when it all comes down to it, you could do show upon show upon show of this, and and I even on my last episode tried to only spend a certain amount of time on it and move on because there's not very much you can do about it except just be angry. But it was all summed up in the fact that I had a friend of mine, good friend, went to went to college with at U of I. He's the he's the godfather of my firstborn. And he lives in Minnesota. He's originally from Edina, which is a north suburb. Huge Twins fan. I've gone to so many games up there with him, just the two of us. Me wearing my Sox gear here, him wearing his his Twins gear. We both sat together in the cell when Francisco Lariano pitched a, uh, a no-hitter against the White Sox. He was one of the few Twins fans jumping up and down, and I had to deal with it all night long. We love to give each other crap. And all he did was write me a very simple text that said, I'm a hall of fame baseball person. And all I wrote back was I am so embarrassed to be a white Sox fan. And that's the entire exchange that we had over this thing. And that's how I feel right now. It's embarrassing. Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to put it,
0: Chris. And it's just another example of, yeah. Cause we were feeling so good about the organization at the tail end of 2020 into the offseason. You want to Rick kind to do his thing. And then the boss man steps in and makes the call and you know, we were worried about uh, like the fallout moving forward. And we weren't really cons- like considering this as a part of the conversation. But when you bring in Tony La Russa, a guy who hasn't been in the clubhouse managing a team for almost a decade, and it kind of screws with the dynamic just based on already the baggage that he's had, it-, it left you with an uneasy feeling. And now, like you said, we're embarrassed because of the news that continues to pile up. And, I don't know about you, but I don't know how the White Sox are going to play this. I guess they're going to let it, obviously, you know, go through its process, but, you know, given the circumstances, is there any way that this organization moves on from Tony La at this point? Are they just going to ride this one out, you think?
1: Not a chance they move on. There's absolutely no way they move on from this. I find one of the funniest things is how angry everybody is. Like, all of a sudden, Jerry Reinsdorf's going to bow to public pressure. I... I liken the whole thing about what happened here with the Larusa hire and then also with the fact that we find out the team already knew about the DUI ahead of time. What Jerry Reinstorf did was he took everybody that was my age, and I'm 43 years old, and anybody that might be a little bit older, maybe just a little bit younger, who sat around and told them Jerry Reinstorf is not a good owner, that the the six rings the Bulls got don't count towards the White Sox that he has done more to harm the team than help the team over his decades in charge. And people were like, "Oh, you're crazy because the younger the younger generation, this is no slight against them. They have the the beauty of the 05 World Series. But I was a teenager back in well, actually I was a, I was a child back in the 80s and I was walking around trying to get signatures to stop the White Sox from being moved to Florida because this old man was going to take a team away from me just for money. I remember in 1993, hugging my father when they won the divisional championship, a high school kid, I was at the clincher game and then going into 94 saying, we're the best team in baseball. And guess what? We were the best team in baseball. Everybody knows we were going to end up facing the Expos that year. It would have been incredible to see what happened, especially after in 93. We were so close. I mean, Ron Ventura just misses a foul pole in in game five and i'll never forget that that's how close we were to coming back in a series we started 0-2 against the blue jays the eventual winners that year and here's the strike and jerry reinstorf not only is on the owner's side he's spearheading the movement he's on television telling people we probably won't play baseball till 1996 he showed right then and there with a world championship caliber team that he didn't care about winning he cares about his He cared about his and the white flag trade, and and he was lucky enough that this team caught lightning in a bottle in 05, and he got to put a stogie in his mouth and hold his trophy in his hand, and Paul Canerico gave him the ball, and everybody forgot about all the stuff that he had done before, and what Jerry Reinstorf did is reminded every White Sox fan exactly who he is, and he validated people like me that are like, watch out for this guy, because I've seen this act before, and that's what's going on right now. Chris, I'm gonna have you touch on something that you, you know, you
2: brought up on your show, you know, related to Larusa. If you look on White Sox Twitter right now, you know, there there's petitions going around and people have called the team to voice their displeasure. And like, look, we all have our right to do that, I think. But, you know, you you kind of said something on your show that that I thought was, you know, really funny, but it's also obviously disappointing, just the fact that you know, people think that they can just say, oh, I'm not going to buy hot dogs next year. or I'm not going to buy tickets next year because it's going to affect the bottom line. It's going to affect Jerry. You don't agree with that. What do you, what do you think about the people that have, that have been saying things like that?
1: Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't operate his team the way that people think that he operates his team. First of all, he's got his partners. And um, I've been fortunate enough to at least have a conversation with one of them at one point in my life. And they sit down and they figure out, hey, we're, we're supposed to get a certain amount of money. And this is what we're projected to make this year. And Jerry sits down. He knows what he's supposed to make that year. If you cut $10 million out of Jerry Reinstorf's bottom line by not showing up at the ballpark, he's going to take $10 million away from Rick Hahn in free agency. Because Jerry Reinstorf's going to get his. This is a business to him. This isn't about winning championships. It's never been about winning championships. It's a business to him. He bought this thing for like $19 million worth. They have a billion dollars now he's he He has said publicly that he's told his sons uh, when when I die, uh, keep the Bulls, sell the white Sox. This is not this is not like a baby to him. This isn't like the this Cohen out in New York who just took over to Mets and just is a Mets fan and wants to win. Sox fans need to come to the realization that Jerry Reinstoff is going to get his, no matter what. And we've seen before when the team doesn't do well in at the box office. We've seen after the trade deadline, we've seen after the free agency deadline, back before Han was the general manager and when Kenny Williams was officially the general manager and Rick was just an assistant and Kenny was the guy that would always come on the microphone, we've seen him repeat those things and we've heard Jerry say them before back in the lean years where he would sit there and say, well, we're not having anybody show up, so if, if fans aren't going to show up, we can't spend a bunch of money. It's always been on the fans showing up because in the end there's a, there's, like a, there's a bunch of columns and he's going to, at the end, get what he's already marked off as what Jerry Reinsdorf's making this year. So if you cut out what Jerry Reinsdorf's expecting to make, he will trim from someplace else before he takes it out of his wallet. And that's another reason why a, an older man who's got an awful lot of money, more money than any of us are ever going to have in our lives, who, who owns two professional sports teams, really doesn't care about your feelings on this matter. He doesn't care if you're upset. You know how much he probably laughs about this? Like, oh, I hear they're they're tweeting about me. He probably laughs about that while he's smoking a stogie inside of his (laughs) office. He doesn't care.
0: Okay, that is very important because, I mean, that just tells the entire story right there. Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't necessarily care about the fans' emotions at this point when it comes to his team and personnel decisions, making decisions that – impacts the team. He doesn't care about the public backlash. It's happened over and over again. It's it's really insane to watch when you're sitting back and just observing. Not even as a fan, but as a Major League Baseball observer and you see the way organizations are run compared to the way
1: the White Sox are run. It's fascinating, really. Yeah, it, it is. And he 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 runs his team differently. And and I think any White Sox fans, I think the longer you've been around him and the more you've watched how he does things, we we got we got fooled. Over the last couple of years, we've seen this team getting run in a very different way. And we started to believe like, hey, with Rick now kind of steering the ship, Han seems to have a plan. Hey, look at this. The plan is kind of working out. Hey, look at what the, they're, they're finding little market uh, inequalities where they're saying, hey, let's sign a guy before he even makes it to the major leagues the long-term deals. Let's identify talent this way. Let's redo how we're doing our minor league system. Let's start taking more of an analytical approach in certain areas. And then you find out that in the end, none of that matters if the if the guy who's been there for the last several decades walks out of his office one day and says, I have this brilliant idea. Let's bring my buddy Tony onto the team. That That's what happened here.
2: So, you know, going back to that, and I think we've all kind of talked about how the biggest, I think the biggest issue with this whole thing, and we've all agreed, is just kind of like the chain of command issues, right? Like Jerry Reinsdorf hired his buddy. He let Rick Hahn and Ken Williams get him to this point, and then he didn't let his people that he's chosen make this hire. He made the hire. That's the problem. And some of the other Tony La Russa's stuff, I think you're under the impression, you know, as well as I've said, that it might be a little bit overblown. So you know, we're not going to get our way here. Tony La Russa is going to be the manager of the White Sox. So the question should be, how do we go forward? Can Tony La Russa do this job? Can he do the like job of baseball manager as a seventy six year old man in twenty twenty one?
1: I think so. See, I think he's. I still think that there's no reason to believe you're not winning a World Series this decade because of Tony La Russa. I don't know. You could argue back and forth. Could you have won more? I don't know how long he's actually going to be there. Maybe maybe this team wins one in the next couple of years and Tony goes off into the sunset holding his trophy and his buddy Jerry's happy for him and then Rick Kahn finally gets to pick the guy that he wants. the The only thing I worry about Tony La Russa and I was thinking about this today because uh, I've, I've read a lot of things where people are worried about, can he get along with this younger generation of players? He, it's going to be a job for him to do. I think, and, and I and I always try to come back, especially on my show, I'll do this, uh, but I'll also try to, anytime I try to explain anything, I, I try to draw back on life experience. So if, if you'll indulge me for a quick moment here, when I was younger and I was in high school, I had this girlfriend that I just wanted to make happy all the time. and She was, she was trying to get service hours at Mother Macaulay High School by coaching a girl's softball team, 11 and 12 and 13-year-old girls. And she knew nothing about baseball. So she's like, well, you run the team, and I'll just kind of sit there because I'm try- I, I volunteered for this, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I ran the team, and I, I liked doing it so much that even though I was in high school, I didn't have a kid on the team. I actually ran the team for like three years. So I ran this team for three years over at Midway Baseball League, and I got to know what the parents were like and what it was like teaching kids at that, at that age. 25 years later, I started teaching my own daughter's team. Same kind of level, same kind of softball. And while there were so many similarities, now you had kids that were being trained in, 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 in with separate coaches. You had different styles that people had taken up. Girls softball had changed the way that they're, I mean, they had their own metrics. Like how that how they now handle certain throws and there was a certain technique and things had changed. In those 25 years, some things had changed about the game. The basics of the game are still there, but there are things that are going to be different for Tony, and I think he's dealing with a completely different generation of players. There's going to be a learning curve, but no, I don't think it inhibits him completely from doing well with this team, but it's it's an unnecessary hurdle where you wouldn't have that hurdle with a different coaching decision, but it's it's a hurdle I think he could probably still get over.
0: I think that's really well said, Chris, and you put it into perspective well because you know ultimately talent trumps all I think when it comes to on the field and who knows how quantifiable a manager is on the day-to-day he does make decisions that impact the outcome for sure well when you're when you're talking about like for example Kevin Cash making that move out of the bullpen of the World Series is one example I mean that is like the immediate impact and I think Tony La Russa across 162 he's got the pedigree you know you give him credit for where he's where he's been and where he is now it's just doesn't it doesn't feel right is what i'm saying it didn't feel like it was the right fit but i do think that like what you said is true as the game has changed i think he's been able to adapt well across several eras and i think now currently uh he he can do just fine in the clubhouse it's just his ability to do it is he going to be able to handle the day-to-day tasks at this point of his life and when you have you know the white Sox trying to cover up the pr side of this it just it sucks i just hate it. I hate that I have to follow this story attached to a team that I, I care about so much. But really good stuff, Chris, on the Larusa thing. There's so many other topics, so many other topics that we'd like to hit on today. Uh and it was I think it's a perfect segue to our next conversation is Ethan Katz. When you talk about the progression of the game, Ethan Katz uh most recently hired by the White Sox as the new pitching coach. So the staff is starting to come together a little bit. Were you surprised about this hire? What do you know about Ethan Katz and what he can provide to this White
1: Sox group? Well, one, I was pleasantly surprised because a lot of times I learn about a guy because your partner here, James, comes on Sox in the basement and like will say a name or I'll follow him and he'll tweet something like, watch out for this guy. And he brought up Ethan Katz. Now, I'd heard of Katz before. And I, I knew a little bit about him, but when James said that, I was like, okay, well, I got to pay a little bit more attention. First of all, we all know the legend of, of the, the, the change of Lucas Giolito, and that's what's going to be the thing that most people know about Evan Katz. This is the guy that after Giolito was the worst pitcher in Major League Baseball, uh, Giolito couldn't figure out what he wanted to do and how to fix it. And part of his training regimen was to take a weighted ball and throw with a weighted ball. And when he started throwing with the weighted ball because it was so heavy, he his arm changed. It was a very short, quick, like L-shaped release. It wasn't a big wide hook when he was throwing the ball because he was just trying to get the thing thrown. He couldn't, he couldn't do what he was used to doing. And by the time that that Katz gives him a regular baseball back, he had changed the delivery. It's quicker to the plate, it's more controlled, and it's harder for the batter to pick up. And that was the thing that a lot of people credit is the reason why Lucas Giolito became what Lucas Giolito is. And then you also see names like Jack Flaherty, who, you know, he's the one I always think about with St. Louis. Uh, He's another guy who credits the cats for being an influence on him and being one of his coaches that got him to the place that he's at. This hire is a pleasant surprise because it's not insular. It's not a good old boy from the White Sox network it's somebody from outside the box. And it tells me, at least I hope that even though Rick Hahn had Tony La Russa forced upon him, that he's picking the rest of the staff. He's making the rest of the decisions and which is how it should be. And that's a good sign for me as a White Sox fan.
2: Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the next thing I was going to ask you is, you know, what this indicates going forward, because look, we didn't know, like we were told Rick Hahn was making the managerial hire. And then he obviously didn't do that. So I would agree with you that this is a pleasant surprise. Ethan Katz is, you know, 37 years old. He has the history with Lucas Giolito. He was the head baseball coach at Harvard Westlake High School. You mentioned Jack Flaherty. That was his rotation at Harvard Westlake was Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty and Max Freed. All all, all future first rounders. (laughs) And Kevin Gaussman, the former Oriole, you know, just took the qualifying offer in San Francisco. He's credited Katz like with his... I guess, ascension too. So what do you, what do you think here going forward with the rest of this coaching staff? Obviously you said that you're, you're optimistic now, you know, because of this hire, what would you like to see happen next? And then are you looking, and then do you want any of, you know, the current coaches to be held over?
1: I want Frank Benkino to stay. I, I feel like that, that Rick Hahn, if he's the one that put him in the place or whoever thought that was a good idea, made a good hire with him. I said that when Manquino was put in a triple a, he was the guy. I, I was always amazed by the Giancarlo Stanton story. And I didn't know about Manquino, but I knew that the, I knew the story, the idea that over the years, Stanton had been slowly moving his, his front leg out. And so he was missing the outside of the plate and Manquino was looking at it and changed something in his mechanics and changed how he set up uh, on the plate and almost moved him right up on top of it, and that was the season that he had the 50-plus home runs. He gets the big, giant free agent contract. He, he leaves Mankino, and now he's not even the same player because he left his tutelage. And, and I I noticed White Sox players seem to be pretty happy with him, and I also like the fact that he's kind of a straight shooter. Like, he, he was asked a question about Nomar Mazara I want to say, halfway through the season. And I'm like, what does he have to do? And he kind of shrugged his shoulders. Like, I don't know. We pretty much tried everything with him. Like, he, at least he admits defeat. Like, nothing you can do with this guy. We, we're trying to tell him what to do. Like, I like a coach like that. and He seems like, I mean, they, they brought him into AAA to work with the, some of these guys that were going to be coming up. He, he is somebody that I would think some of these young players would like to keep. I think that uh, you you want to hold over some of the things that worked for you. I know a lot of people don't think hitting coaches matter, and maybe they don't. But if uh, if hitters are comfortable with a guy, he's also their psychologist. And it seemed like this team hit really well last year. And I'd, I'd like to keep that consistency going. As for the rest of the staff, I'm that. You know, you could bring in assistant hitting coaches and and assistant pitching coaches. We just had the assistant hitting coach get picked up by the Tigers to be a hitting coach. And I was trying to figure out, like, well, I never heard anybody say anything great about him, so I don't know if he's good, if he's bad. The Tigers seem to like him, but the main thing for me when I look at coaches is who's going to be sitting, who's going to be sitting next to larusa That's probably the thing that I wonder about. I really hope it's a good bench coach and not a White Sox thing forced upon Han, like, hey, this former player is going to sit next to Larusa because Jerry wants him to be the manager in three years and Tony's going to teach him. That would make me nervous.
0: Yeah, Scott Coolball, the uh, assistant hitting coach, of the White Sox, like you mentioned, Chris, uh, picked up by the Tigers. Scott Coolball. Uh, so, going back to cats, I just it was interesting that you mentioned the Lucas Giolito story. Who do you think on the pitching staff currently will benefit the most out of Ethan Katz? Because I just wonder how much at the big league level Don Cooper did with some of these arms that were struggling that we didn't see a lot of success from. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, two guys that were a little underwhelming this year. I'm just curious if you have names in your mind that Ethan Katz could potentially benefit. Just knowing uh, what we
1: do, which is kind of limited at this point. Well, you know, it's it, that's a tricky question, and and the reason I say that is everything that I've learned, read, and heard about Lucas Giolito is that he's a student of the game. So here's a guy who wanted to get better, and when I hear comments like what Ricky Renteria said about Reynaldo Lopez at the end of the 2019 season about his head not really being in the game and saw the frustration that they had there. Ray Lopez needs to want to have some change made or want the coach to to have some influence on him. If he's resistant to it or isn't working on it, then I don't know if you can save him. And you hear Steve Stone, Stone really was all over how great he thought Dylan Cease was going to be. And in the back end of the year was like, if he keeps doing that stubbornly, He's never gonna be a good pitcher. You could you could feel him sour on him almost like he was saying, like it's not like he's not being told to make these changes. He's just not changing them. He's not throwing it in the strike zone. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not with a maybe it's a better approach. Maybe Katz being a younger guy and having the pedigree and having Giolito look at his teammates and say, Listen to this guy. Maybe that'll have an influence. Maybe those guys listen to him. But you know, with pitchers, you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I think that's with like that with any player. They have to be willing to actually buy into it. We had, we had uh not to get off on a tangent, but Devin DeYoung who works in player development uh, was on our show just recently. And he was talking about a guy like Adam Engel and what a student of the game he is and, and how much work goes into his hitting and how that's helped him improve just between 2019 to 2020. And, that, you know, but that's, I think, a key thing. The player needs to want to do something. So, otherwise, you could bring in any pitcher. You could bring in the greatest pitching coach in the history of pitching coaches. I don't know who that is. If the player doesn't want to do it or, or isn't paying attention or doesn't have their head in the game and isn't committed 100%, it won't really matter. So,
2: I, I, you know, I do think the guy that could benefit the most might be Dylan Cease. And I, yeah, and I, know that... I,
1: I don't know if I trust Lopez. I just... I just see a guy who doesn't seem to be in it. And, you know, the, the comments after that one game where he's blaming everybody but himself, didn't know why Renteria pulled him from a game where he was clearly didn't have it. Like, I, I just, I, I wonder, but I don't know him personally, but just that fan's intuition where he's just like, I don't know if this guy's going to sit down and listen to anybody.
2: Well, and after that, like, I was surprised that, like, Reynaldo, like, ever pitched again for the Sox. Like, I I kind of thought, like, they sent him to Schaumburg and he was going to stay there forever until he was traded in the offseason. So I don't know if Reynaldo Lopez is going to be on the team, but you know, those are the two, those are like the types of guys. I know that Reynaldo worked out with Giolito this past off season. So, you know, maybe some of that was with Ethan Katz. So who knows, but you know, I don't think the White Sox are going into the rotation next year with all these young guys in the rotation. You've talked about it on your show. I obviously brought up George Springer. We'll get to that in a bit. You're, you're the guy that, you know, you, you want Trevor Bauer. So either Bauer or, you know other free agent starters. What would be your ideal, I guess, free agent or trade pitching plan for the White Sox this offseason?
1: Well, yeah, I liked yours, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna steal yours that you came on the show and talked about the the trade for Yerman Marquez. I was ready to deal right after you came on the show. I was like, yeah, trade Nick Mandrigal and two prospects for German Yerman Marquez. I'm down, and then sign George Bringer. I'm done. And I was like, J- James has got it, but uh, but I I do like Trevor Bauer, and the reason I like Trevor Bauer is that I think that he he fits a mold that the White Sox can't normally get Jerry Reinstorf and his spending into. Uh, if if Trevor Bauer goes by what he's always said that he would do, which is incentive-laden deals that give him the ability to get out of the deal or it's a short deal because he wants to bet on himself and he thinks long-term deals are stupid, and we've heard him say those things before, and maybe his mind has been changed or maybe somebody will give him a 10-year deal where he has an app op- a way to opt out every two years. Who knows what will get offered to him? But he he fits where Jerry doesn't like to spend on a lot of years uh, with pitchers. He's very afraid of that. He's said that before in interviews that he hates to give money to his GMs for long-term contracts. He has no problem spending the money. He just doesn't want to be spending bad money. He doesn't want to look at a guy who breaks down after a year or two. So uh, you could actually probably overpay a little bit for Bauer or at least match anybody if he's willing to take a shorter deal, which he might be interested in doing. So that that's one thing. And then the fact that I also don't see Dallas Keuchel as a, as, as a number two pitcher on my team. So I keep looking at who's better than Keiko. And I think that list is a little bit smaller than most people think. You know, I like a Masahiro Tanaka, and the only reason I like him is because I paid attention to him over the last several years in my fantasy baseball league. And the guy's just consistent. And when he's healthy, he's very, very consistent. And if the Yankees don't uh, want to bring him back, he wouldn't be a bad guy to go pick up. You know, there, there's going to be all kinds of interesting names you can go out and get. I mean, Mike uh, down lower on down the the rotation. I don't mind a Mike Miner. I think there's going to be guys that had just a rough first month, and so their stats for 2020 look bad, but they still have it, and they wouldn't be a bad pickup. I mean, I I, I always thought Mike Miner was a better pitcher uh, sabermetrically and and just with the eye test than uh, Gio Gonzalez. And all you're really trying to do is improve off of. What you got out of Gonzalez, you want to find something better in that for the bottom part of your rotation. And I, I would like to see them add two pitchers. And I, I, they need a top-end guy. And so I'm, I, right now I'm gung-ho for Trevor Bauer. I don't know if we're going to get him, but that's who I want.
2: Well, so it doesn't sound like it's completely, you know, off the table, right? So, you know, obviously Marcus Stroman came out and basically said in, in as few words as possible that the White Sox weren't really going to be an option for him, but I think he kind of knew he was going back to New York.
1: That was the so, most insincere thing I've ever... Like, after you see that he takes the qualifying offer the next day... Yeah. That, that is the most insincere thing because he acts all big like, I would do it for no amount of money. And he already was probably had the thing in front of him from his agent they were talking about taking the qualifying offer. Yeah, probably. That, that, that's and, ridiculous.
2: Well, and Kevin Gossman, you know, he's another guy that I, I had heard the Sox like, might have some interest in, but he's going back to San Francisco. So, Mike, I'm going to loop you back in for this too just you know Bauer doesn't seem like he's going to be completely turned off by the White Sox because of La Russa. and there's a lot of people that think like oh the White Sox aren't going to get any free agents because Tony La Russa's there how much do you guys think Ethan Katz and this type of hire like helps them in free agency or like you know makes it so like you know some of these La Russa concerns maybe don't matter as much as some people think they do
0: well, let me throw it to you here, Chris, uh after after I, I give my take, because I think there's a little bit of credibility going on and I think the hire reflects that it's Rick Hahn picking Ethan Katz here. Uh and that's just me assuming. However, I feel like when you look at the grand scheme of the organization, there's so much value from top to bottom. I mean, you talk about the limited resources that they have following a lot of these prospects who have graduated, there's still some value. So I think the Trevor Bauer conversation was interesting because I felt like he was pretty down to earth about it when he described his way of uh, you know, understanding a person by meeting them and then introducing themselves and judging their character after conversations, not by hearsay. So I think that's a very responsible thing to say, but also, you know, that Trevor Bauer is pretty outspoken. And this is a guy who's putting out videos you know, almost on the daily. Do the White Sox want to have to deal with that? I don't think that's going to be a huge issue uh, if the White Sox do commit to Trevor Bauer because, obviously, the talent. So I think there's a bit of credibility going on when it comes to the Ethan Katz hire. At the same time, Chris, I feel like Tony La Russa doesn't have so much that of an impact to the point where, okay, this is... This is it. It's damning. Like, it's over. You know, I don't think he's got that much of an
1: impact on this team where it's just going to shy everybody away from playing for the organization. Well, exactly. And, and think about it this way. Uh, you know, Ethan Katz asked the question before he signed the contract. Hey, are you guys going to fire the manager and then somebody else is going to come in and fire me in three months? Because that would have been my concern if I were signing it. So the fact that he signed it means somebody said, "Don't worry, no matter what happens here, the owner's not getting rid of the manager." Because why would you take a job if you weren't sure whether or not they were going to? In two months, there's going to be so much political you know, like, fallout that you might not have a job because all of a sudden a new guys coming in to be the manager. You know, you know, he had to feel comfortable to come in there. Now Bauer, he does this video, he does all these different YouTube things, and he goes on, he goes on uh, Twitter, and he's he's constantly talking about different things going on in baseball. When he addressed the Larusa thing. What I saw was what's probably going to be the norm for any free agent. In the end, uh, a, a, a rational free agent is going to sit there and say, well, how much money are they going to pay me? We always worry about, like, well, they're going to feel comfortable there. Uh, and With the exception of Zach Wheeler's uh, Instagram girlfriend turned wife, most of them, it's, the, it's not about where you're living. It's not about what, how much – it's about the money that you're making. And then it also comes down to, do you think that you can win? Trevor Bauer looks at the White Sox, and he goes, that's a really good team. And I'm not going to say anything bad. I have to address this because my, my audience, a guy like Bauer is doing videos. He feels like he's got to address all these things. His public needs to hear his views. But he's not going to say anything bad about it because I think that video showed me that he's still interested in the White Sox. He doesn't want them to think he's not interested. And he doesn't want to burn any bridges until he meets the guy who's the manager and finds out what happens. To me, that was a positive sign, That, And I think that that is the more rational thing that most free agents will still do. In the end, you could be put off by Tony La Russa. In the end, you could be angry about Tony La Russa. In the end, you could be surprised that he's the manager. But when push comes to shove and a team shows up at your door with millions of dollars and you ask the questions, if they give something that sounds good enough to you, you you'll sign the contract. I don't know if he's going to drive off very many. There might be one or two people that aren't interested, but I don't think it's going to be the norm that free agents are afraid to come to the White Sacks because of uh, Tony La Russa.
0: Yeah, I think that's very well said. I thought exactly what you just you know elaborated about is the re- relationship uh, free agents want to develop with potential teams that they're signing with. And James, you know that was an interesting question that you posed. I- I'm curious about your take as well, but related to Trevor Bauer specifically, I feel like what Chris said is true. The way that they approach free agency, these free agents, they're going to have that evaluation process, keep an open mind, and then make a decision themselves. I mean, it's just almost that simple.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I never really thought that. Like, I'm I'm the guy that thinks that players generally take the most money. I mean, I, I always go back to the Jerry Seinfeld quote. You know, there, there's like an episode of Seinfeld where you know, Jerry said that he's going to pay for Elaine's apartment. And then somebody says like, Oh, maybe she won't take it. You know? And he said, people don't turn down money. It's what separates us from the animals. And, (laughs) you know, I very much, you know, people don't usually turn down money except Zach Wheeler. So, you know, be the highest bidder. And if the guy doesn't come to you, then okay. You know, then, then he lost. And then the White Sox will leak to the media that they were the highest bidder. But, you you know, I think with Bauer, I, I think it's, it's, Totally true. I think the White Sox are an option. I think most people think it won't be the White Sox because they generally think that somebody else will bid more and he'll choose California or somewhere else. And th- that stuff might be true, but I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't rule them out right away. I mean, they hired Tony La Russa. I think they're going to spend some money. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think having La Russa here has an effect like that. Like I said, like I think the three of us have kind of agreed. You know, my issue with the La Russa thing is what's been stated a bunch of times. Just you know that Rick Hahn didn't make the hire. That's it. The rest of it, I think, is fine. I think they can get
1: free agents. I, I agree, and I'm going to tell you right now, Tony La has got still got three rings. He could still sit there and show anybody like I got three World Series rings. How many do you have? It, it it's it's it could be just that simple. He also has some really superstar type players that have played for him over the years and ended up in the Hall of Fame. That these guys were these guys were kids growing up and respected these players and watch Tony La Russa and it, to just discount that and be like, ah, he's old. I don't want to play for an old guy. There might be a few guys that think that, but some of them might be like, wow, Tony La Russa's my manager. That might actually happen to a few of them.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just, you're worried about how players react to maybe some of La Russa's opinions when he's running his mouth. <laughs> I think as a baseball manager, he's going to do just fine. As long as he can get through the season, as long as he can do it and he stays healthy and he's able to, Like, live up to that grind because you know, I you hate to talk about his age, but when he when you look at him, you're concerned about hey, man, like you're traveling a lot, you know, the long days, long nights. It, I don't. I'm glad I'm not in his shoes right now because there's a lot going on in his life. And you know, at that age, don't you want to just hang out, <laughs> you know, like when, it, how much is there to gain right now? If you're Tony LaRusso jumping in, in this situation, it just, it's so bizarre to me. I'm sorry. It's just so bizarre for him to decide to commit to this. Now uh, I guess you're always loving the job as manager, but at this point in your life and in in this point of your career, I don't know. It seems backwards. He's got, to me, like he's got a, he's got a five-year
2: plan. That's, you know, listen, listen,
1: sure. maybe, maybe it's COVID fatigue. Like I have a, I have an uncle who's in, a, who's just a few years younger than Tony and, and he's been a retired judge for several years. He's got kids that are all over the country. He's normally very, very busy. He gets to take trips. He gets to go on cruises. He gets to do all this stuff. And now he's so bored right now, yeah. quarantining inside of his house. <laughs> yeah. If somebody came to him and said, you could be a judge tomorrow. He'd go back and sit on the bench. Cause he's yeah. bored. Yeah, yeah. no, I, exactly <laughs> why Tony LaRusso is back. I
2: get it a little bit though, right? Like he's been out for a while. He, he, and I, I think he, you know, he likes the word sincere. I, you know, I do think he was sincere when he said that, you know, he got a better scope of like what it's like to be in a front office. Like he's up hanging out, smoking cigars with owners and talking to Dave Dombrowski and doing whatever. But like, you know, if, if your game is like, you're the manager, right? You're on the field. Like being on the field is completely different than being up in a front office, right? Like a manager is trying to win that day's baseball game. Whereas like everybody else has this like broader, you know, this broader lens for what's going on. So like, yeah, he probably thought that he was done. And I think he would have been like, unless he could manage this team at this time for this owner, you know, I I think the apprehension, uh. the apprehension, the apprehension from us like makes sense, but as some, and this is like totally like not the same thing. Right. But I coach high school football games on Friday nights. And, you know, sometimes if I'm required to like be up in the press box, like instead like charting or something like it sucks, like I'd much rather be on the sideline and and that's like not the same thing, but You know, like, like I get it. It's like, it's two different jobs. He thinks he can do it. We're going to find out.
0: There's just so much to the job and he's been away for so long and he's at this stage of his life and his career. It's just, you you wonder, you have these concerns. And then of course, all the baggage attached that results in the players saying, okay, well, we're going to wait and see. Like, these are the type of things that you don't have to deal with, or you shouldn't have to deal with if you're the White Sox at this point, because the team is ready to win. You shouldn't be having this distraction when you're trying to pull in free agents. It's I listen, I'm optimistic about the way that Tony La Russa can do the job, and I think we talked about this in nauseum already. It's just a matter of like we're and maybe we're just nothing people, right? We're just fans. We're just worrying about stuff that doesn't matter, but I don't know. Maybe,
1: maybe Chris, we're I... just. Maybe we're a bunch of young guys that are, are being a little bit too hard on the old people. I used to have a 90 year old neighbor. He used to climb up on his roof once a week and nail shingles into his roof. And I was like, Jesus, he's going to kill himself up there. And he did it every week for several years. So maybe, maybe, you know what? Yeah. I want to be at 76 years old. They have the energy to go out run my car off the road and manage a baseball team. That's what I (laughs) want to do when I'm 76. That's what I want to be doing. You see, Uh, I'm picking on Tony LaRusso, but he's got $30 million every once in a while. They got to take his mugshot and he's running a major league baseball team. He's living my dream right now.
2: Well, I'll never, so I'll never forget this after this offseason. it was probably like a week into the LaRusso stuff. Um, And I, you know, texted back and forth with a scouting buddy that I've, you know, been friendly with over the years. And I'm like, you know, this can't be real, right? Like this whole thing. And he said, all he said to me was old dudes love other old dudes. And that's pretty much all. And that's when I'm like, oh my God, like, I hope this guy's wrong. And then, you know, like 10 days later, Tony LaRusso is the manager of the White Sox. So
1: in the comments that we get on our social media and uh, on our show and stuff like that, those that have pictures, and I can tell that they're older than me, they love the Tony La Russa hire. They love it. Yeah, and, I, that's so, and, and you know what? And, and here's the thing: I still think he's. I still think he could be a, a, a good manager. I think yeah, Tony, me La too. Tony La Tony La would have done a better job with this team in 2020 than Ricky Renteria would have. Tony La Russa would have never have left uh, Dallas Keichel as in as long into that game before he had that injury. That's uh, we've heard reports like. Dallas was really upset about it. Like, why is he sending me out here in the eighth inning with this huge lead? Tony La Russa would never have done that. Tony La Russa loves to pull pitchers. He's going to have such a hard time with this role where you have to keep a guy in for three three batters because he used to go and have a new pitcher for, for he, in the sixth inning, he'd have three relief pitchers pitch to three guys just to pitch through Fair. the sixth inning sometimes. So, uh, I think he'll manage the team differently, and I think the team's may, it's at least in better hands than Renteria, although in the end, I, I would have preferred Hinch. I think a lot of us would have preferred other candidates
0: that's totally fair yeah
1: going back a little bit we you know we've
2: talked about the pitching a lot what are you pie in the sky obviously like if if they if they come through with my plan and they're able to keep george springer away from the mets somehow that would be fantastic let's say that doesn't happen what are what are their options for the outfield after i think nomar Mazara probably gets non-tendered here what what should they do um in the outfield and at dh if george springer is not an option
1: all right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that's unpopular with people because I'm gonna say first off, I think the White Sox have every intention of Andrew Vaughn. I think he's I think he's going to be up. And I think it's it, it's gonna be this quick jump, but I think he's gonna be up. They're not gonna have him up at the beginning of the year. But whatever they start with is not gonna be the high price free agent you want a designated hitter. It's gonna be just a guy. They might go get a piece, or they might do it internally, or it might be it might be a piece that they're like, this guy can do other things once we get our designated hitter up here. But I also feel this. There was hype forever. I mean, remember, two years ago, James, when when I, when we first met in person for the first time, we'd already talked on the phone. We were at a sax Fest, and there was all this buzz that maybe Jack Peterson was coming to the White Sox. We were like, this is awesome. And then we heard the buzz about Jack Peterson the next year. We're like, ah, maybe it'll happen. And now Jack Peterson's a free agent. I'm not really that interested. Because I look at his splits and he would just join this team and I don't think it would be that big of an improvement over what they were getting out in right field. I mean, he, he, he's good against one type of pitcher and terrible against another type of pitcher. And meanwhile, I look at a guy like Adam Engel and I, I, I people are going to crucify me for it. But I look at his splits in 2020 and I still believe that a guy can get better. And I still think a guy can improve. And I saw a lot of good things out of Adam this year from both sides of the plate. And I saw a different approach at the plate. I want George Springer. But I also don't want the team to go out and get some one-dimensional player that's going to go out there and be a platoon. I think Larusa will handle a platoon better than a Renteria. But you could look at many names because I don't think there's a complete right fielder that I think is a realistic move for the White Sox. It's a big name, you know. I think there's there's plenty of guys. There's plenty of guys you can bring out there that could do something. But you're not gonna after Springer. I don't see you, I don't see you spending big money on the position. You might bring in another outfielder. You might put some competition there, but don't be shocked if a guy like Adam Engel doesn't earn the majority of the playing time with a manager like Tony La Russa, who's going to like the fact that he plays speed, who's going to like the, play, the, the fact that he plays defense. And if he if he hits the way that he hit in 2019 coming out of the gate, Tony's going to want to put him out there all the time because he adds a dimension to your lineup where you have so many power hitters and you have so many guys that, 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 that can do so many different things, but he adds that dimension of speed in your lineup. And speed is is a big part of baseball, and I I still think is a big part of La Russa's way of looking at the game. So I I, I really want a George Springer, but I, I'm not entirely convinced that the White Sox break the bank on anybody else because I think that they also feel like there are maybe some internal options that they have on the team, and they might just focus just on pitching, depending, of course, on Jerry Reinsdorf's budget, which we have no idea what it is. So I
2: agree with you about Andrew Vaughn. I think he plays a significant role. I don't know if it's opening day, but... You know, hopefully it's George Springer. If not, it you know, it might be one of these platoon lefty hitters that you've talked about. Mike, do you think, uh, is there a name for right field, like in a platoon, if they go cheap, you know, kind of like the Nomar Mazzara thing, but hoping for better results, like a Jock Peterson, Michael Brantley, somebody that makes sense to you if it's not Springer?
1: Mike, before you answer, I just want you, everybody to notice the sigh that James made after I made a case for Adam Engel. Cause that was real. <laughs> hey, I that was you. real. I felt that here. That was real. It hit me right in the gut. That was a James Fox. Like, ah, oh, Chris. He's very. No, he's. I think Adam Engel's
2: very useful um, against against lefties and cleaning up in the outfield. But I don't want to play it every day. So. I
0: understand. I appreciate the White Sox commitment to Adam Engel, though they've developed him. Uh, into like last year was pretty productive player and there was a lot of positives coming from his game obviously you know the defensive value but hey that bat i remember steve stone was talking about adam Engel like three four years ago and it was like okay look at his profile it looks like a speed guy slapped the ball around the yard no i mean he's got a ton of pop in his bat so we've seen the adjustments year by year that Engels made and i think You know, you you keep riding with him. I think he's a great depth piece that you you have on your roster. But when it comes to upgrading the position, James, I'm looking – how do you guys feel about Michael Conforto? Do you think he's somebody out there that you could go out and get? I'm a fan of Michael Brantley. I think at the right price he fits a lot of the needs uh, that the White Sox were missing in the lineup. So I'm rooting for Michael Brantley if it's not Springer. But also, what do you guys think about Conforto?
1: I know that I've gone I know that I've gone after Conforto multiple times in a fantasy league with a guy that won't give him up. I mean, I, I look at his raw stats. I haven't seen him a lot in action, but I know I like him and I like how he projects. I know that enough. I know enough about him that I like how he projects and I like what kind of ball player he is and the and the and the stats that he would bring to your team. That's about as much as I know about him though. So like Michael Conforto would be awesome. I think he's another short-term
2: guy, though. He's like got another, I think one more year. Him or Brandon Nemo from the Met would be awesome. But I think with Steve Cohen there, I can't see them like selling. So maybe, you know, maybe if they sign a Springer and decide to trade an outfielder, then yeah, then maybe that's how you get your left-handed bat. But I think Conforto um, is a guy that fits perfectly. On to Michael Brantley. My concerns with Michael Brantley, and obviously, you know, the White Sox have shown that they don't really care about outfield defense. And like they had you know, Jermaine die out there for way longer than like he yeah. ever, you know, than he ever should have been. I just I don't know if Michael Brantley can hold up playing that much right field. And you can't really play him in left field with Eloy. So like if Andrew Vaughn wasn't a thing, or if we thought he's only gonna play like the last 50 games or something, I think Michael Brantley makes a ton of sense if you could play him in left and DH and play him at every day. But I just, like, you know, we did this with the McCann thing this year. I just don't know, like, if they're at bats, if this player that we're plugging in can't play right field. I just don't—it's like, a, it's still a weird roster, even though it's a good one.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point that you bring up. I, I wonder how much they care about the defense, the outfield defense, when it relates to Michael Brantley. Is it really that bad, James? Like, is, is he— Uh, Well, like, what are the major concerns there? Is it his range or what's going on? Yeah, I think
2: it's range and arm, and I just fear that he won't be able to stay healthy. Like, I don't think they would care. Like, if he could play 130 games in right field and the defense was bad, I don't think they would care. But I don't know if he can play out there that much at this stage anymore, like without hurting himself because he's been hurt quite a bit. So, like, he DH'd a ton for Houston. So, I think the I think I think the bat makes sense. I think like that profile for the White Sox makes a ton of sense, right? Because he's, he's like not a high strikeout guy and he makes a lot of contact, but he does have power still. So like that, that makes a lot of sense, but you know, with Eloy Vaughn, Abreu Grandal, it's just going to be tough, man. The fit, the fit for whoever they do end up getting, it's going to be kind of weird.
1: And it's also what Houston's Houston's already talking to him. I mean, I already read something that Houston had already opened up negotiations in the hopes that they could bring him back. So when you see a team like Houston, that's uh You know, they got to figure out who they're going to really go after first to retain out of free agents. And they still are interested in bringing uh, Brantley. And it it, it seems to me, you don't even know how available he's going to be. Sure.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, another part of this too, for sure. And I was going to ask if you believe that starting rotation is priority number one and then right field priority number two, is that the plan of attack that you foresee the White Sox
1: going for? Yes, that has to be. You, this team is so good offensively. This team can can deal with not having a superstar right fielder and just having a guy in right field. When when you're looking at the fact, I I I doubt that Luis Robert doesn't take another step. I doubt that Aloy Jimenez doesn't continue to grow into a star. I doubt that Yoan Mancada is not going to rebound from a bad year where he had health issues. I think Tim Anderson is the real deal. And this comes from a guy that has who had to apologize on his show multiple times for saying about two years ago, this guy sucks. And I I love him. I mean, like he made such an improvement in what he's doing offensively. And I used to always say, like, he's got to hit about 300 to make up for the defense. Well, he does that. He does more than that. and he's And he's actually improving defensively. Uh I I Jose Abreu at some point is going to get old, but guess what? He's rejuvenated right now. Uh, Yasmani Grandal in a full season, uh, I I get a I get a kick out of all these White Sox fans that try to tell me that we got to keep James McCann cuz he's the better of the two catchers. That's wrong. You're just not very good at evaluating uh talent. Uh, the, the, there's so much on this team right now, but what you had was only two legit starting pitchers when you went to the postseason, and you need far more than that. And to just believe that Michael Kopech is going to come back after that long layoff and be able to pitch an entire season and then go into the postseason and be a legitimate threat, you're, you, you know, you're stretching it a little bit. You don't know if that's going to happen. And and to the idea that all of a sudden Dylan Cease is going to put it together, the idea that all of a sudden Reynaldo Lopez is going to put it together, you don't have enough pitching on this team. You need more of it. You don't want to be sitting there saying, okay, well, it's going to be between. we got, We have – Three open spots, and it's going to be between these five guys already in our system. No, no, no. You want it to be, we have one open spot, and we've got five guys fighting for it. That's what good teams have going for them if they're a playoff contender. That's what the Sox need to address. They could could completely strike out at positional players and look internally. If they fix the pitching, that's far better than if they strike out at pitching and, and they go out and they get themselves a right fielder and a DH.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with uh, pretty much everything you just said. And a couple more for you, Chris. Really appreciate the time. Chris from Socks in the Basement podcast. Check him out. Don't Socks worry. I'm, I'm sitting
1: in my bar right now. Yeah, and This is where we do the show, the Socks in the Basement show. And we, uh, we sit at this 9 foot old oak bar. And while you guys were talking about Michael Brantley, I poured my second beer. So you take as much time as you want to. Because I don't know how to broadcast without a drink in my hand. That's why I got out of radio, Mike. OK, I used to do radio, but they wouldn't let <laughs> yeah. me drink in the studio. So now I sit at my bar in my basement and I lock the door so the kids can't come down. And I start drinking in the middle of the day. And I tell my wife, well, I have to because it's what I do for work.
0: I love it. Uh, I love it. Anyway, you want to sell it. That's fine with me. So here's something that I have that I wanted to run by. You mentioned Andrew Vaughn. I'm so excited about Andrew Vaughn. I think he's going to be really, really good. And along those lines, as these prospects were awaiting, let's see, who do I want to start with? Jake Berger, or do I want to start with Zach Collins? Because you mentioned the catcher situation, and I brought up Berger because I feel like he's he's close. I think he has a legitimate case to play on a major league team next year if all things go well. But let's let's start with Zach Collins. Is he going to be the backup catcher in 2021 for the White Sox, Chris?
1: Well, you know, what I always try to what we always try to do on our shows we try to try to we try to figure out what the team is thinking, and this is an interesting thing because. The team got rid of a manager that didn't seem to like Zach Collins. Now, they didn't get rid of Ricky Ranteria because he didn't like Zach Collins, but Zach Collins was not given an awful lot of it bats, put in a terrible position in the postseason where all of a sudden he had to go up there cold after not seeing live pitching for weeks. And then all of a sudden he's got to go up there and he's got to get a big big at bat, a big hit or something like that. Zach Collins didn't get a fair shake in 2020. Zach Collins is also a guy that is really only going to do well in his splits. He's definitely a platoon catcher. So the question becomes, do you think that that's good enough to back up your team? I think a team that has World Series aspirations, that's not good enough. They they might do it. If if Rick Hahn gets a budget that he doesn't like, it might be the last position that he looks at, like go out and get yourself a guy that's a good defensive catcher and a good receiver that we're not worried as much about as bat, but we, we just want to have somebody we can rely on or at least compete in spring training. So I don't I don't think you pencil Zach Collins in just because James McCann isn't coming back. I think that the team would love to have somebody else in there, a- except it's not a priority. So I, I think this is going to be like a catcher that gets signed before spring training. Like this is a February signing, and it's not going to be something exciting because he's the backup catcher. Yasmani Grandal should be getting 80% of the starts back there, if not more.
0: James, how do you feel about that evaluation? Do you think Zach Collins is going to be the primary backup here, or do you think they're going to go out and get a backup? I kind of
2: feel like they're not going to spend money on a backup. Now, I you know I do think there's credence to the fact that Rick Renteria really didn't like Zach Collins, um, but he's also hasn't he hasn't had a, a shot to play. I've always thought Zach Collins could hit against righties, you know, kind of like Chris said. I don't think he looked that bad behind the plate. I think he looks a lot more clean than we thought now is a team with world series aspirations going to go into the season with zach collins as their backup catcher i i don't know but i also don't think he has a ton of trade value because they haven't used him properly so my guess is zach collins is on the team into spring training and they have like some sort of veteran backup that doesn't cost very much money right like even if it's like a guy like former White Sox, uh, Kevin Smith, yes, G- who's caught Giolito in the past. Like maybe that's Giolito's personal catcher and he's just like around. I don't think, you know, I don't think you're signing uh, you know, like Yadier Molina or somebody like that to like split time with Grandal. Grandal's gotta play a ton. And as we've talked about, like, you know, all offseason now and a lot today, like they don't have DH and first base at bats for him. So I think grandall is gonna play a ton behind the plate so your backup I, I don't know how important your backup is
1: and you know what you know what else every team's got a story of some guy that you're like where do they get that guy from remember in 05 Chris Widger was playing 16 inch softball it was out of baseball and all of a sudden becomes the the backup catcher Th- that could be the type of guy you see as the backup catcher to Grandal this time around if it's not Collins it'll be an interesting story I think throughout all of spring training
0: uh, I would love Kevin Smith I would love Kevin Smith back on the White Sox. That'd be great. Uh, All right, Chris. (laughs) Last last couple things. Give me your opinion on on Jake Berger now because a lot of progression from this kid. Somebody who went through some major injuries, you know, sliced his Achilles twice, uh, ruptured, I should say. And, you know, he's worked his way back, going all the way, dating, what is it, 2017, all the way back since then. I mean, this is a kid who's close, I think. And he played in... The Summer Collegiate League out in Normal, in Bloomington Normal, and he looked fine. And they were talking about, I think it was on a podcast with Chuck Garfine, he said, hey, if things, COVID unrelated, if things were normal, I think I would have been in a full season affiliate and ready to go. So what does that tell you about Jake Berger's progression currently in his professional career?
1: Well, I, I like guys like Jake Berger who suffer um, just enormous obstacles placed in front of them and find a way to, to overcome them. And that's what Jake Berger, I mean, think of how, how psychologically you have to get over the fact that not only you have this freakish, horrible Achilles accident, like I had a partial tear in my Achilles playing softball five years ago, and it still hurts. I didn't even fully tear it. And every time the weather changes, my Achilles pops and I hobble around the house like I'm 72 years old and my kids make fun of me. So the fact that he had that injury happen to him once, but then a second time, and he's still out there because he loves the game, you have to root for a guy like that. And he's that kind of guy that White Sox fans have forgotten about. If you take away the injuries, you would have expected Jake Berger to be here by now, or at least knocking on the door solidly, and you would have him rated higher on all these prospects lists. He's definitely a guy that's gonna that's going to have to be protected in the, in the, in the rule five draft. Cause I believe he's rule five eligible. So they're going to make space and they're going to have to add him to the 40 man roster. And, and, and yeah, definitely. I I'm really curious as to how he looks when he comes out in spring training and he could be one of those stories of spring training. Like, is he going to make the team as the 26 man? Is he a guy that is in triple a and you're hearing about, and in June when you need a bat or somebody goes down, it's Jake Berger. That, that's a complete possibility. And he's one of those guys that I'm always, when I'm trying to look up White Sox players, like when I'm like, I wonder how this guy's going. I wonder how this guy's going. I find myself like typing in Jake Berger a lot. I'm really curious as to how he's doing. And I think he can make an impact. If not this year, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be available. And I think eventually White Sox fans are going to see him up here. And and I'm hoping for good things out of him.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the Rule 5 draft. Jake Berger, Gavin Sheets, Tyler Johnson are probably you know, the three biggest names we'll know uh, by next Friday, the 20th, I believe, is the date where they have to protect those guys. So what do you, I mean, I guess first glance, do you think they protect all three of them or?
1: Well, Sheets and them? Burger for sure. I I, I haven't marked out on mine that they protect all three. Cause I keep a, I always keep a roster in the off season, like a little spreadsheet and I keep track of the 40 man. And right now they'll, they'll have plenty of room to be able to keep all three of them as long as they continue on the trajectory that they seem to be on. But, I know for sure they're gonna they have to keep burger and sheets. We I talked about it on my last show. When you look at the top ten on MLB pipeline for the White Sox right now in the off season, five of those guys will no longer be on that list because you expect them to get plenty of games. Basically, they're on the team next year. And the other five guys, are 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 going to move up to be your top five prospects. Gone are the days of having eight guys in the top 100 on MLB pipeline. But you know who's going to be number five if everything just stays the same? It's Gavin Sheets. So you're not letting that guy go in a, in a, in, a, in a 40 man. Uh, you're not letting that guy go in a 40 man roster crunch. He's going to be put on the 40 man to protect him from the Rule Five. And I think this team stuck with Jake Berger way too long than to leave him unprotected. And somebody's going to sit there and say, "Look at that guy. Look at the draft pick he was, and now he's healthy. I'm I'm rolling the dice on him." So those two for sure. Johnson's uh, an iffy one, but I have them protecting him as well.
2: Yeah. I I think that makes sense. I think, look, I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, these guys have a lot more information than we do. Right. So if they leave Jake Berger unprotected, it would be because they're pretty certain that nobody's going to take him and try to stash him. But man, I'd be, I don't know. I'd be a little bit afraid that, you know, a Baltimore or somebody that's not very good would just bring in Jake Berger and DH him or whatever on a bad team, just to like get him into their organization. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I think they probably pr- protect uh, all three. Really quick here, uh, I got the TV on, and they haven't announced it yet. You think Jose Abreu wins MVP tonight?
1: Yes, and uh, he should, and if he doesn't, it's a travesty, and it's a terrible thing that if he has to be interviewed through a translator, he's going to get asked a question about Tony La Russa. It's absolutely horrible that the White Sox as an organization are going to make their, their linchpin, a guy that they consider to be the big brother or father of these younger players. This guy who is the team leader that has, he is the one that sets the mood in your clubhouse and you're going to make him have to deal with this because you're too chicken to deal with it yourself.
0: Chris outstanding stuff. Always a pleasure to have you on the future Sox podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. Before we let you go, what what are some of the things that you're working on, Sox, in the basement? The last time we talked was, like I said, last year at the start of the show, and like you've taken strides, and I think you were going over a plan, I remember you telling us, last season with the assumption of a full Major League season, but how has things kind of changed and, and varied across this year, and, and where are you guys at uh, in terms of your product? Because I think, for me, as a fan, I love... Uh, checking out socks in the Basement because it resonates with me as a fan. So I'd love to get an update on where you guys
1: are. Well, I, I think what we, we had to come to a realization. I think we did it before we talked a year ago that there were, there were only certain ways you could go with having a podcast. And we, we started as fans that had no, no idea that we would get the kind of response that we've gotten from people who listen to it. And, and, and we, we had that, that urge, to kind of like, well, let's play nice. Let's not really say everything we want to say. And I, it, it's an understandable urge, I think, that everybody that's outside the organization has. But we got to the point where I was like, I just want to be the fan show. I just, I, you know, I, if, if the White Sox get aggravated with me because I, I yell about Jerry Reinsdorf or tell some story that makes them uncomfortable, uh, I'm not, I, I don't think they're banning me from the ballpark. I think they're pretty much still going to let me buy tickets and sit out there. And uh, if I don't get invited to events, it's cool. I think we tell the truth about a lot of things that happen in there. I think we hit things on the head. I've been told by uh, several people that actually work inside the White Sox organization off the record, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I think this, that that same faction that was uh, making it known they were upset about the Larusa hire are the same people that sit there and say keep doing what you're doing don't worry about the fact you're upsetting people because uh, we're not intending to upset anybody we don't look I want this team to be good I want them to win a ton of games and I want to dance around at World Series victory parties for the for the the entire twenty twenties uh, but I, I I do think that we you know everybody had to deal with the, when COVID hit there's no baseball. Uh, but we've we've seen all of our, our listeners come back and we've seen everybody get really interested in White Sox baseball again. And uh, we're really pumped up about it. I'm, I'm hoping that very soon we can start doing some of the things we were planning on doing. We we're going to do an off offseason uh, brewery tour where we are going to stop and do socks in a brewery. And we had a bunch of breweries lined up for live shows. And now it's so uncertain because most of them can't open and they can't have people inside. So, you know, we, we want to do it safe and do it, but we can't. So it, it's rough. It's hard from a creative angle to do all the fun things we want to do because we're waiting for, like, the world to get a little bit better. But once it does, I, I think we're, we're really looking forward to just keep pushing through. We have a we have a blast doing the show. I get to sit down with my best buddy I've known since I, I grew up across the street from him, and I, I get to BS about the White Sox and people listen to us, and I don't understand why, but it's really cool that they do.
0: Chris, that's awesome. Really happy, really excited for you. And I, I, I see it. I, I think this is going to grow into something really special and it's a nice little nest egg that you're building
1: currently. Trust me, we're having a blast doing it. and We can see that the people are listening to it. We, we, we really love, uh, love doing it. And, and tr- I have an idea for something, but I don't want to reveal it on your show, but I have an idea for something. that probably is going to get me in trouble again with the organization.
0: Looks like Jose Abreu just won the MVP. Hey, it looks like, yeah, yes,
2: twenty twenty MVP, Jose Abreu.
1: Oh, Jose, don't answer any questions.
2: And I don't. You know, I don't. I don't think I'm allowed to celebrate this one, guys. Twitter. Why? Twitter told me I'm not allowed. I'm a hater.
1: That's I'm okay. not allowed.
2: I'm not allowed to celebrate Jose Abreu we, winning.
1: We went back and actually we did a show where we just played older stuff, like our bad takes. And I had the bad take two years ago that if given the choice between Avi Garcia and Jose Abreu, I was keeping Garcia Ooh. in that six months when he was really good. And I got so many people who were like, you're the only person who would ever admit that he said that. And they thought that was cool that I admitted it. And Dave was the one who was like, are you out of your mind? And I was wrong. I mean, sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes oh, my you're
2: wrong. God. I'm wrong. I'm wrong all the time. Every time we do one of these shows, I'm wrong. And
1: <laughs> that's the part of being a fan that's fun. Again, that's yeah. why I like what the show we do. We're just having fun. It, it, it's not up to me to, to to make people believe that I'm some sort of psychic who knows everything about the White Sox. And I always think it's funny when people ask me, like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "Well, you can probably get the same uh, same impression from your buddy at a bar." And, you know, I I mean, I'm just a fan like you are. But uh uh, uh it, it, it's fun to do, and, and it's it's kind of fun to watch. Good for Jose Abreu, man. That's that's absolutely, absolutely awesome. It's about time we got some good news for this team.
0: Well, they got it right. Jose Abreu deserves the MVP award. And that's something that we can react to in a positive light. Luis Robert as well, the gold glove in center field in the American league and uh, the runner up as AL rookie of the year. So something to hang your hat on as White Sox fans. And as, shout as, out Rick Tony, as
1: Tony La Russa would say, the first baseman won the MVP yeah. and the center fielder <laughs> got a gold glove. And uh, one of these days I'm going to learn all their names. <laughs>
0: Chris, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Good luck with everything moving forward. Thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you guys for having me on.
0: That is Chris Lunuti of Socks in the Basement. Check him out, broadcastbasement.com. Search Socks in the Basement wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, check us out, futuresocks.com That's where we have all of our content. Check us out on Anchor. Check us out on iTunes and Spotify. For James Fox and Chris Lunuti, my name is Mike Rankin. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.